Well, hey, we're so glad to be with you at Crossroads Baptist this morning. And uh, uh, if you have your Bibles, please open it to Isaiah chapter 6. We won't get right in, but just as you're looking there, Isaiah 6 and then also 2 Chronicles uh, 26 as well. Uh, and we're, of course, you heard we're going to the Republic of Ireland. Ireland is two different countries. Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom. Uh, and then the Republic of Ireland is in the south. So we're, we're going to the southern part. Uh, the most needy part uh, in that in that uh, arena, uh, but you we have a daughter Macy. Uh, she's in the nursery, and my wife, beautiful wife, is over there with Melanie. Uh, she's she's hiding right now. Um, but I told someone I said, you know, usually when I when I teach and preach, um, I'll move around a little bit, but I don't I I don't run around the auditorium. You know, I'm not that charismatic, but. But I might do that today to warm up, okay? Well, I can't because I need to stay close to this recording. So I'll just stay here and freeze. Um, oh, it, it just picks up the sound. I can run around. Okay. We might even jump in the baptistry and, and do all that stuff. Uh, but anyways, it's so good to be with you guys, especially so close to uh, St. Patrick's Day. And in the worship service, if, whether we're in here or we're in the auditorium, I'm going to tell you the true story of St. Patrick. A really amazing missionary story of how God used him in Ireland over a thousand years ago. Uh, but I want you to look at uh, first, if you look with me in Chronicles, uh, or, or uh, for, sorry, Isaiah chapter six, uh, with God's help this morning, I just want to teach a lesson titled "This: What Changed Isaiah." What changed Isaiah? You know, Isaiah chapter six for many believers, it's one of the most popular missionary chapters in the Bible, uh, especially in the Old Testament. You know, the, in the New Testament, there's all sorts of passages and of the Great Commission of Acts 1-8. So many places that encourage us to declare the gospel, to give, to pray for missionaries. Uh, but Isaiah 6 really talks about the surrender that takes place to have a heart for missions, to say, uh, when God says, whom shall I send? And we say, uh, here am I, send me. But before we ever get to the place where we're willing to go ourselves and personally tell people about Jesus Christ, where we're willing to pray for laborers, pray for unsaved people to be saved and give financially, there many times has to be changes that take place in our life. So, so often uh, we're focused on doing and our actions and our, on the outward. Uh, and in the book of James, it talks about faith and works. And you see that internal attitude take place in Isaiah's life where in order for some big things that God wanted to happen uh, in his nation to take place, there had to be internal changes that took place in Isaiah's life. And I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 6 with me in verse 1. We're just going to read a couple verses here at the beginning. And then we're going to look at the context of why he's in the temple. And we're going to go to 2 Chronicles 26. But if you look at me uh, with me in Isaiah chapter 6, it says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And then I want you to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 26, and look with me in verse uh, 1, and we see why, who was Uzziah? Who is this King Uzziah? Why did King Uzziah die? What happened in Isaiah's life? It's kind of a major change, and many times the things that we can't change they will change us. And many times the things that are out of our control, God means uh, to show us that he's in control. And God wants to use the things that we can't change to, to bring changes about in our life. You know, a lot of us hate change, don't we? We don't like it. 
In fact, you know, this spring forward, the time we're from Tennessee, so it's like it's like it's eight o'clock right now for us, okay? <laughs> With the two hours, and they say seventy percent of people despise time change. They just this is outlawed, okay? Um, let's get passionate about that. Uh, but you know, same thing with the weather. Okay, we we some of us like the extreme change of the temperature tomorrow when we get back in the 60s, but we don't like it when it comes the, the other way, do we? Uh, but depending on your attitude towards change, we ultimately have to realize that change is necessary. Uh, change needs to take place, and you see a big change happens in Judah's life. Uh, big uh, change happens in Uzziah's life. You look at St. Chronicles 26 with me. It says, Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the room of his father Amaziah. He built Elroth, restored it to Judah, after that the king slept with his fathers. 16 years old was Uzziah when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Jechaliah of Jerusalem, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all his father Amaziah did. And he sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And that's the key, isn't it? And if we continue reading the verses in this chapter, you, you see that militarily he built the Judah's military to be the top military of the world at the time. They were amazing. Economically, they were a powerhouse. Uh, spiritually, revival was taking place. And you could say, man, Judah was the was a cat's meow and the dog's bow wow. Things were happening there. It was an amazing place to be. But as he sought the Lord, God made them to prosper. I want you to jump down to verse 16. It says, But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord as God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the son of Aaron, and that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up to his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. He gets struck with leprosy from the top of his head to the bottom of his, of his feet because he got lifted up with pride. He thought, you know what? Uh, I'm strong and it's because of me. Everything good in my life, the good things I have in my life, it's because of me. The good things in our nation is because of me. And he thought he could go to the temple and burn incense and it didn't pertain to him. Uh, godly men stood up against what he was doing. And he died in a, in a several house. He died in a leper's house. And that's how, he, that's how his life ended. So you, Isaiah, out of all the places he could find himself when his king dies, you think about what you would be thinking if you had a, a great leader that was leading the nation in a good way. If all of a sudden you lost that leader, you'd be worried, especially if you continue reading in chapter 27 and verse 2. It says that Jotham, his son, he entered not into the temple of the Lord and the people did yet corruptly. So after Uzziah dies, his son, maybe because of what he's seen his father do, his son never goes to church. He doesn't go to the temple. He leads the people in, in a way opposite of how Uzziah was leading them. So Isaiah, this is the place he is in. And I think he probably finds himself mourning in the temple. Big changes have happened in his nation's life. His king Uzziah had died from his sin. And I believe Isaiah, he's seeking God. And the Bible says that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And God reveals himself to him, and 
God couldn't give an Isaiah a, a call. He couldn't give Isaiah a way forward, a purpose of what the future held, unless Isaiah was first usable. Unless Isaiah was able to hear his call. And, and uh, oftentimes when we have something major happen in our life, it seems to take our hope. It seems to paralyze us in fear. It, it seems like we don't have much purpose when we look towards the future. And I think in our culture today, uh, there's some people who found a lot of hope in President Trump. There's some people who found a lot of uh, – uh, they put a lot of stock in, in, their, in the stock market and, the, and, the, and their, their bank accounts and economically how we're doing and all these different things. But then when the world goes haywire, when it looks like there could, we're on the edge of another world war and things like that, sometimes people just feel paralyzed. They don't know what to do. They look towards the future. They don't know what is going to happen, and they wonder how they can be used. And in order for us to be used by the Lord in this generation, we need changes to take place in our life if we're ever going to be used. And this morning, with God's help, I want you to notice we're going to look at four progressions that happened in Isaiah's life that God used to change him, that God used to use him in a great and mighty way. We're going to pray. We're going to jump in and see what God has for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your just your holiness. Uh, just, Lord, you're perfect. We know that we can trust you. Lord, we're thankful that you're on the throne. You're in control. Lord, help us to be on the altar, surrender to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to get a glimpse, help us to truly see you and know you as you really are, not who we want you to be, not who the world says you are, but who you really are. And Lord, we know if we'll do that, Lord, that you'll help us to see this world how you see it. You'll help us to see ourselves for who we are. Lord, we're thankful that you want to use us, that you're calling us to be used in uh, the harvest and so, Lord, I pray that you would help us make changes in our life to be in the position to hear from you, to be used. We saw these things in your name. Amen. I want you to notice first as we're reading, I think it's very obvious already, the concern of Isaiah. Isaiah was very concerned, and frankly, I think we all could say a lot of us are concerned. Uh, you know, we're not Judah. We're not in that time period. But there are some parallels that we could even see today. Uh, he realized that he had a need. He realized that without a godly king, where his where his country was heading, uh, he he realized how much that spiritual influence uh, influenced the nation and himself. And when something shakes your faith, when something of spiritual significance happens in your world, do you notice? Are you concerned? For this world of over 7 billion people, are you concerned about the people in Fredericksburg? Are you concerned about the lost? Are you concerned about the spiritual condition in your family's life? Are you concerned about the spiritual condition in your relationship with God right now? And many times you can go through life and maybe we'll concern, maybe we're concerned about things that really don't matter uh, in, in, in the spiritual realm. We're concerned about a lot of earthly things, but are we concerned about the things that matter to God? He realized that he had a need, and since he realized he had a need, he realized that the only person who could truly meet that spiritual need in his life was God. So he went to the temple. I believe there's many people today, they're not concerned enough about their world 
They're not concerned enough about their sin, about the sin around them, to go to church, to go to the temple. They're not concerned enough to crack open the Bible, to bow down the knee, to get that spiritual counsel, to call that pastor, to call that person in their life and, and, and talk to them about those, get some counsel in their life. One of my favorite things, uh, you know, this this is this will sound kind of morbid, okay? But one one of the things I like to enjoy doing. So in Ireland, uh, they, their their main sport is they have uh, the Gaelic games, and what the Gaelic games are, it's like a bunch of uh, uh, Vikings got together and they figured out how to legally hurt each other without starting a war, okay? That's that's what it's like. It's it's crazy. They have a game card hurling, and they get these wooden cudgels. And they bounce the ball around and they run around. And if you want the ball away from the guy, you just get that wooden cudgel and you hit him. And you take the ball away from him. And there's blood and guts all over the field at the end of the game. It's amazing. But anyways, what I like to do for entertainment is uh, I don't like to sit through a whole game. But I'll look on YouTube and there's highlights of when people get injured. And so sometimes in one of those Gaelic games, a guy will be playing and his leg... He'll, it will snap and it'll go the other way. Your leg's supposed to go this, supposed to, and then it goes the other way as he's playing. And then all of a sudden, it's just like hanging by his skin, and you're like, wow, and you're just watching that, and there's blood everywhere. Uh, or, you know, any sport. I, I just enjoy watching that, okay? I, I don't know why. I'm confessing to you. It's, it's entertaining. Um, but something when you watch that, usually anytime you see one of those players get injured, I'm telling you, they're trying to get help, and they're concerned about their need in their life. They're going to, they're, they're saying, "Mama, Mama!" They're calling for the nurse, they're calling for the doctor because they need some help. They realize that they have a physical need, and the only one person who can help them is a medical professional. Okay, they want someone quick. Man, when you're hungry, okay, you're going to go roaming uh, to the fridge. You're going to be looking around for some food to scrounge on and eat. And all I'm trying to say, folks, is when we look about this world around us. We can turn on Fox News and try to get answers there. We can spend so much time on Facebook. We can complain and whine about the world to our friends and family. We can do all those things. But ultimately, friends, if we're going to make a spiritual difference, we need to go to God's Word. We need to, we need to be around spiritual people. We need to go to the, the person who can truly make a difference in that need. And Isaiah, in this crucial moment of his life, when, man, all these changes are happening around him and his world is just falling apart around him, Isaiah says, I'm going to go to the temple. I need to go to God. He's the one that can meet the needs in my nation's life. So we notice the, the, the concern of Isaiah here, but I also want you to see, secondly this morning, the confession of Isaiah. If you continue reading with me in verse 2, it says in verse 1 that he's seen the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his, uh, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is the Trinity in the Old Testament, Three, the thrice holy God. Verse 4, And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So you see here that Isaiah, he gets a glimpse and he sees God for who he truly is. Not who for, for who he wants him to be, not for who everyone else thinks he is. He sees God 
exactly for who he is. And oftentimes when we get our eyes off of ourselves, when we got our eyes off of others, we put our eyes off of Christ, we get clarity real quickly. We get clarity of what's going on. And when we look at Christ, we get to see clearly who we really are. And you see here that first he, see, he sees God sitting on his throne. He sees God exactly how God wanted him to see him, that, hey, God is in control. No matter that King Uzziah has died and Jotham is on the political throne now and Jotham isn't leading the people in the right way, no matter uh, that judgment is coming in the, in the nation of Judah and people are turning away from God, uh, there's no more majority right now. There's only kind of a remnant of believers that believe in God at this point. No matter that all these bad things are happening in his land, God wants him to know, hey, I am in control. I am sitting on the throne. And it, we should know today, as believers today, that doesn't matter how bad the news gets, that God is on the throne. That he is high and lifted up. That he is in control. So he sees God sitting on his throne, but he also sees these seraphims. These seraphims... They cover themselves, they humble themselves because they knew that God was holy. And oftentimes we struggle because we don't view God as holy. We don't view him exactly of who he is. And, uh, you know, I grew up, I was homeschooled for a good chunk of my life. Uh, my parents were missionaries in Sri Lanka. It's 25 miles southeast of India. So we did a lot of that. We did some video school. And so grew up, we did a Becca. And I remember the Becca uh, uh, flashcards. Man, they, they had these nice-looking angels on there. Man, they, they, they just looked all muscular and all this stuff and blonde hair, blue eyes. And, uh, hey, angels can have uh, brown hair and red hair and all that too. Anyways, the angels were like that, and they had big old beautiful feathery wings. And that's what I always thought an angel was. And some angels, are I'm sure, are like that, but not the seraphims. The seraphims, they're kind of whacked out angels, okay, uh, from what we know. And these seraphims, man, it says they, they have wings covering their – with twain, they cover their face. With twain, they cover their feet. With twain, they did fly because they were covering themselves because they realized how holy God was. And then later on, it says they picked up tongues from off the altar. So the way I imagine this is they only have one wing left, and they're flying like this, and they're spinning. <laughs> That's probably not how it went, but sometimes when I read the Bible, I try to imagine stuff like that. So you can knock that off uh, the record there. But anyways, you see the seraphims here, they realize that God is holy. Do you have a proper view of God? Do you see God as a thrice holy God? In all the ways they could have described God, they could have said loving, 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 long-suffering, full of grace, and that all those things would have been true. But I believe they... They were referencing God's dominant attribute, the one that really governs all of his other attributes, his holiness. Amen. Holy, holy, holy. You know, same thing going with, you know, as a kid growing up with Christian teaching in my life, Sunday school, you know, homeschool, all that stuff. And early on, I remember learning the Ten Commandments. I remember thinking, oh, man, I got most of those in the bag. You know, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. You know, all this stuff. But then Jesus said, hey, if it, even in your heart and your mind, if you even, you know, it's the same thing. And I'm like, oh, man, man, man maybe I, 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 I do bad on all of those. But then, then there's one I always thought, you know what, I do really good on this one. There's no way I break this rule. I mean, I'm not a Hindu, uh, you know, or anything like that. I don't believe in 333 million gods or anything. And that was not making a graven image. You're not putting any other god before God. I'm like, I got those two commands down pat. I don't have to worry about those. But the more I've read the Bible and the older I've gotten, I, I've realized that many times 
we make a God that we feel comfortable with. That God is a believer we say we believe in is not the God of the Bible. Oftentimes we, we make God to be somebody that we that is we, we that we can cozy up to. Okay, man, this God, he's he's very lenient about the sins in my life. But on the sins in other people's lives, oh man, he's gonna judge them. At least that's how it is for me. Maybe it's for you the opposite. Maybe it's for you just think, man, God is so hard on you. There's no grace for you, but everybody else, you have a bleeding heart for him. Me, I, I'm I'm the opposite, okay? <laughs> I think, man, God just think God's just God just want full grace for me, but not much grace for other people. But that's not true, is it? And oftentimes the God we see, we don't view him in a balanced way. Uh, and we pick and choose kind of like Thomas Jefferson did as he tore parts of the Bible out, uh, made his own Bible, who we want God to be in our life. Isaiah sees God holy. He sees him righteous. He sees him uh, devoid of sin. He sees him for who he really is. And his realization of God caused him to have a proper recognition of himself. He saw himself for who he really was. Oftentimes, I believe, we, we uh, enjoy or it's easy to compare ourselves to other people. Uh, you know, anybody in here, you can compare yourself to me and you can find some way that you're better than me, okay? Maybe your you, your nose is more centered in your face, Okay, maybe you're better at trigonometry. I don't know what even what trigonometry is. So, so you're definitely better than me if you even know what it is. Okay, uh, you could find some way. Everyone in here could find some way. You know what? I'm better than this person in this way in this moment here. My bank account, whatever it is, we could do that. Mm-hmm. But when we compare ourselves to a thrice holy God, we're speechless. It should cause us to be like Peter who got to the floor and he said, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Mm-hmm. It should humble ourselves to realize that this thrice holy God wants to have a relationship with us, wants to use us. We shouldn't be so flippant about our sin, about how we want to live our life when we get to see God for who he is as a holy God. Amen. And how does he see himself? Kind of shine. You know, before this, we're going to read what Isaiah says about himself. He says, I'm undone, I'm unclean. You know, before this, do you know what Isaiah does in the previous chapters? Oh, man, he'd land blast Judah. He's like, oh, man, Judah is doing this and that, and they're horrible. And he's talking about the people of his nation about how bad they are. Chapter 6 is the first time that Isaiah says, hey, I got a problem too. The problem isn't just with them. The problem is in my life, in my heart, it's going on with me as well. So I want you to look at Isaiah 6, verse 5 again with me. And he says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So first he sees himself, this prophet of God, this major prophet, wrote 66 chapters in the Bible. Probably one of the most most well-known prophets. He wrote so many prophecies about the Messiah, about Jesus Christ. Uh, you could use those to witness to, to Jews today even. He says he's undone. That word undone, it means to be reversed. He says, you know what? I'm further away from God. I've reversed in my life. I'm further away from God than I used to be. Undone also means to be ruined. And he's saying that he was reversed and he, he realized that he was not in the, where he needed to be with the Lord. But then he also used a second phrase. He says, not only am I undone, 
He said, I'm unclean. I, I, I have unclean lips. This prophet of God, that word unclean means this. It means to be filthy, to be dirty, to be lewd with sin, to be foul. So he's saying, I have filthy, lewd with sin lips. I have foul lips, this prophet of God. What was he mentioning? Well, maybe Isaiah had a potty mouth. Maybe he told dirty jokes to people. Could have been that. Maybe he liked to use foul language. Maybe Isaiah was just so divisive that he just separated other people from each other by causing gossip and division and and, and strife in other people's lives around him. Maybe that was his problem. Whatever it was, Isaiah recognized that his lips were truly filthy and unclean. Out of all the places in his life that he could have focused on, why focus on your lips? Why not focus on something else? He says, my lips. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 12 with me quickly. Matthew 12 and verse 34. Growing up, um, you know, my, I'm a second generation Christian. My parents got saved when I was about one and a half years old. But my dad very quickly started memorizing scripture and uh, tried to walk with the Lord and be discipled and all these things. One of my dad's favorite verses was my least favorite verse. I've grown to like it today. But I used to say something. I would, I, I would backtop my mom or say something to my mom and, or, my, or my sibling. My dad would say, what do you say to my wife? He didn't say, hey, what do you, don't talk that way to your mom. He said, don't talk that way to my wife. And it just meant, you know, when he said wife, it was intense. Okay, oh. Uh, but my dad would say, you know, I would say, dad, I said, I didn't mean it. Dad, I didn't mean it. I, I take it back. I take it back. I didn't mean it. You know, and my dad said, no, 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 no. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaking. And I'm like, oh, you know, he got me. He got me. But the Bible tells us in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified. By thy words thou shalt be condemned. In other words, Isaiah was saying this. I have a heart problem. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. My lips are unclean because my heart is filthy. My heart is foul. My heart is lewd with sin. My heart is unclean. Isaiah recognized that because he was undone, because he was unclean, that he was unacceptable. Friends, you might think that the way you use your lips, what comes out of your mouth, that it's not a big deal. But the Bible tells us whatever comes out of your mouth, it's a direct reflection of what's in your very heart. What's, what's in your mind, what's in your emotions, what's in your will and your decision-making processes. That comes from your heart. So Isaiah says he's unclean, he's, he's unacceptable, he's undone. I went to a Bible college in California, Southern California, uh, in the high desert, Lancaster, uh, California. And my, uh, I, one of the best things you can do if any of you are about to go to college, young people, okay, is if you don't have a vehicle that you're bringing to college with you, become best friends with people that have vehicles. Okay, it doesn't matter how weird they are, get to know them really well. And uh, I remember I had a roommate, uh, this has been recorded, so I won't say his name. He was a little different, okay? He didn't shower, you know, 
weird stuff like that. He would clip his nails and leave them on the floor on the carpet for you would wake up, and that's worse than a Lego, okay? <laughs> it doesn't hurt. It's just kind of icky feeling, okay? But anyways, I became good friends with him because he had a car, and I needed to go to Walmart, and I needed to get to work. And so he had a car. It was like a 1987 Toyota Corolla. I remember getting in that thing for work the first time, and he was a pizza delivery driver for Pizza Hut. And, man, he had old rotten pizzas in there. He had Taco Bell trash. It was like any any college student's car, okay, most college student's cars. And it just filled the trash around the bottom. Like you would get in there, and it just you would just step on trash as you walked into his car. His trunk was filled with trash. It was disgusting. Uh, but I didn't say anything. It's like, you know, everyone's cars like this. I just need a ride to work. And uh, I remember going to work. Just think about that next time you order delivery, okay? And so it, it, was, it, it was all good. But, but he would take me to work. And finally, though, I saved up. In my junior year, I bought my first car, my dream car. I since sold. Uh, it was a Chevy Impala 2014. Uh, it was the new body style. 309 horsepower, six, man, everything I've been dreaming of. Jet black, I blacked out the mares and the rent. Yeah, it was ever, it was awesome. So I got this car, and I remember getting this car, and I mean, I, I would like to, I would get like a, t- when I first got it, I'd like get a t-shirt or like a lint, you know, like a little brush to get the dust off, and I mean, I would, I'd wipe the dust off in the morning. Man, I got this, I didn't get just the regular armor roll, I got the shiny armor roll. Okay, I wanted it shiny in there. And I'd clean it all up, and I remember the next time, uh, I seen I seen his, my friend I just almost said his name I seen him and and I got and I, I said man you need to clean your car I remember just ripping into him and I'm like man your car is disgusting it is filthy that's just gross that's just a bad te- that's a bad testimony I told him that and I'm like I had he said why didn't you say anything before what you think you guys got a new car you can tell me how, what I should do with my car and he's telling me all that and I thought I'm like he's right why didn't I say anything before. <laughs> And, and, you know, my, by the way, my car didn't stay like that, okay? But the reason why is I had a chance to see something that was new, that was holy. Well, it was holy to me. No, it wasn't holy. But it was, it, 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 was, it was way different. I got to see the other side of things. And seeing what a new car looked like compared to his rust bucket with trash all in it, it helped me to get a clear picture that, hey, that wasn't right. And, folks, when we're not going to the temple— when we're not walking with the Lord, when we're not going to his word and, and seeing, having fresh glimpses of him every day, can I tell you, we're going to have a really hard time to see what our life needs to be. We're going to have a really hard time having a burden of the land of people of unclean lips. We're going to have a hard time with that. So you see Isaiah's confession, Isaiah's concern it led to his cleansing. If you continue reading with me in verse 6, it tells us this, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar. He laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips. Thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. Isaiah was finally cleansed from his uncleanness, from his undoneness, because he was convicted, because he confessed. And God can now use him. And I want you to notice where Isaiah is in, in, the, in this story. Isaiah is by the altar. A live coal, a fiery molten coal is taken with tongs. These supernatural seraphims, that you know, supernatural beings, it was so hot that even they had to get a tong 
just to pick up this molten coal. And Isaiah is by the altar, that place of surrender. Where is God? God is sitting on the throne. He is in control. And so many times when there's changes that happen in our life that we can't, uh, that, that God wants to use to change us, when there's things out of our control that God, that are in God's control, you know where we try to be? We try to be the ones on the throne. We try to be the ones in control. And we want God to be the one in surrender on the altar. We want to say, God, this is who you need to be. This is what you need to do in my life. This is what you need to do in my nation. This is what you need to do in my family. And God's saying, no, 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 no. You need to be on the altar. And I need to be on the throne. So Isaiah, he gets that right in his life as he's by this altar. This live coal. Why did God, the most sensitive place you could think in your body is probably your lips. This thin layer of skin. You might write in your Bible, ouch, (laughs) next to that word, live coal. He takes this live coal and he impresses it on Isaiah's lips. Mm -hmm. Must have hurt. Must have been painful. Oh, this, this, this symbolism? No, no, we interpret the Bible literally. This really happened. There is a, there is a fiery call on his lips. And something we can learn from this this morning, even though it was painful, sometimes cleansing can be very painful, but it is always worth it. 2 Timothy 2.21 tells us, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel in honor, sanctified meat, for the master's use prepared unto every good work. At our uh, sending church, Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, me and my wife led an addictions program, a faith-based addictions program that took place every Friday night and Sunday morning. We had a Sunday school class for it as well. And uh, we would have uh, dozens of adults. We would even have a kids program for them, uh, their kids, and we'd have them come. We would try to teach them how to have victory over their addictions. Uh, through the victorious, abundant Christian life. And we try to see them saved first because you can't have victory if you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life. And we continue trying to disciple them in the Christian life. And remember, we, have, we, 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 we try to help uh, a lot of people. And some people got help, some people didn't. And I remember the people that would get help, they had a phrase they would use. They'd say, you know what, I, I'm trying to get clean. I'm trying to get clean. And sometimes they go through a process called a withdrawal process. Maybe they just got saved and they started memorizing scripture, meditating on God's word, and they're trying to have victory. And maybe it was from cocaine, maybe it was from alcohol, maybe it was from uh, uh, pills or something like that. And as they were trying to get victory, I remember this one guy telling me he, he would come in and he would be drenched with sweat, even if it was as cold as this. Uh, you would see scratch marks on his arm, and he says, I feel like I have little bugs crawling underneath my skin, and I have to scratch to get him out he says the lights it gives me migraines the light and uh he would he would have some shakes in his hands and he's trying to withdraw from these drugs we had multiple people with stories like that he would go through very painful processes and can i tell you we did have some people that went through that process it took sometimes a month for some people it took six months and they'd go through that withdrawal process from that substance from that drug and they would ultimately have victory in their life that pain would be gone. Can I tell you, if you ask that person, hey, Elsa, was that worth it? Now she has custody over her son. She's not in jail. She's in church again. Was it worth it to go through those months and months of pain, that months and months of agony trying to withdraw from that drug? 
Oh, I also would tell you, oh, it was totally worth it. I'm so glad I did it. You know, I could take it to other people, Brad. I could take it to other folks. And they didn't get through it. Maybe they were three weeks in, and ultimately they went, they relapsed. They didn't recover because they didn't want to go through that pain. If you went to them and said, hey, are you glad you relapsed? Are you glad you didn't stick through it? You probably could have just stuck a couple more weeks, and you would have kind of been detoxed from that substance in your body. They'd say, you know what, I wish I would have just stuck with it. I wish I just would have endured that pain a little bit longer. It would have been totally worth it to get clean. If you ask Isaiah, God uses Isaiah and the nation of Judah. Isaiah, was it worth you being that momentary pain of that live coal on your lips? Was it worth it? I think Isaiah would tell, oh, yes, I'm glad I got clean. I'm glad I could hear that cleansing. God cleaned my ears out, and I could hear him calling to me and giving me a purpose for my life. And, folks, oftentimes what hinders us from being used by God in missions, okay, telling others about Jesus Christ personally, our prayer life, our prayers being answered financially, our giving, is there sin in our life? We're unclean. We're undone. And God, and sometimes that sin, maybe it's like, you know what? I, I enjoy this sin too much. I don't like the discomfort of me not partaking in this sin. I don't want to have to go through that pain. I don't want to have to go through that. Ask that person for forgiveness. I don't want to have to go through that. I'm just going to stay on as I am. And in the meantime, God's calling. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And no one can hear him. No one's listening. So you see that Isaiah was cleansed. That cleansing reaches ears. And Psalm 51, uh, uh, great chapter of confession of repentance from David. David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Actually, sorry, that's Psalm 66, 18. Psalm 51 also talks about that. We don't have time to read that today, but God was even able to uh, cleanse David as well. I just want to emphasize that point one more time. You see that Isaiah was cleansed. He was because he was concerned, because he confessed, and God was able now to call him and show him what he had for his life. Uh, He was able to respond to that call. Just want to close with one last illustration, and I'll be done. And because ultimately, you know, this is kind of taking place at your missions conference. Okay, uh, you're having some other missionaries, and I understand. Um, I don't know if I'm the first one that came or not. But the first thing, when you think about missions this this year, and what we're doing, not and one thing doesn't excuse us from the others. Going, praying, giving. We need to be involved in all three of those things. Okay, so we think about that. Before we're like, I'm going to go do this. We first have to say, God, spiritually, where I'm at with you, if I'm going to hear your call, if I'm going to be used by you, there has to be cleansing take place in my life. Another job I had at Franklin Road in Tennessee was I taught Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in the Christian school. And on Monday and Friday, I would work on maintenance. Um, And I enjoyed that as well. I'm a city boy, okay? And they were country boys. So this guy, Josh, he'd have this big old... Texas belt buckle, cowboy boots, and he could build a house with a pinky finger, okay? He was intimidating. He's like, Josh, I need to go paint the baptistry. Uh, he's like, can you handle that? You need me to help you? I'm like, oh, no, 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 I can do that. And he's like, okay, well, well, here, here's this paint. He's this industrial Olympic level paint. He said, do not get it anywhere. If you get it anywhere, he said, it will, dest- you know, it, it will destroy it. You won't be able to get it off. I said, oh, yes, sir. So I paint it. The, the baptistry sink still has blue paint all over it. Uh, but I did all that, and somehow I got 
paint on my hands. Okay, both my palms. It looked, I don't know what I did. Somehow both my palms had it. I remember going to the bus barn. I remember going to the sink, and we had this pumice stone. And I remember rubbing my hands. I couldn't get it off. I remember I got, uh, I got all this kind of soap. Then I, I seen some of the bus mechanics. I seen them use uh, diesel. So I got the diesel. I poured it up, burned my hand. My skin started peeling a little bit. It still wasn't coming off. Then I got paint thinner. I got paint thinner. I put it on my hands. I'm rubbing it, trying to get the blue paint. It's still not coming off. Now, now there's a little bit of blood, okay? And then finally, Terry Courtney. He's like somebody from a 1940s, you know, black and white movie. He came out and he said, Josh, he said, uh, he said, he said, let me, let's try one thing. He said, sometimes the these old buses they'll get really rusty and the parts almost get welded together. He says, I use this little spray here. You spray it on these parts and it loosens up the parts. He said, let's just try that out. I'm like, okay. So he put that on my hands. I don't know what it was. I try to convince my wife it was more painful than childbirth, but she doesn't remember. She, 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 she doesn't believe me, okay? But literally, my skin came off my hands, and the blue paint came off my hands, and I had bloody palms. I, I had to bandage my hands, put bandage all over my hands. It was, it was a mess. Can I tell you, it was worth it. I'm so glad I got uh, that blue paint. I'm so glad I'm not teaching and preaching today with blue palms, okay, to you. I don't care if they're waterproof or not. I wanted the blue. I didn't want them on my hands. I just want to challenge you this morning as we think about what changed Isaiah, the changes that God had happened in Isaiah's life. In your life, friend, if you're not concerned for the lost and dying world for their spiritual condition, if you're not concerned about your spiritual life, if you don't realize that God can be the only one that can meet that need, friend, we don't realize there needs to be that some cleansing that takes place in our life. I don't know what it is. It would be different for everybody else. I'm going to be the Holy Spirit. But I want to challenge you that cleansing it is always worth it. When we can get to the place of saying, here am I, Lord. Send me. I'm clean. I, I want to be used by you. And by the way, you might say, oh, I've done that before. You know, as a believer, that sanctification life, sometimes it's something we only confess once to be saved. Okay, You don't have to do that every day to be saved every single day. But to have that close relationship with God to be used by him. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. Let's pray, and uh, I'll, I'll ask Pastor to dismiss us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the time we had in Sunday school class today. And Lord, as we just look at this year of what you would have us do in regards to missions, Lord, help us not to forget our own personal life of what changes you might want to take place. Lord, maybe it has to do with our burden for other people, our concern. Lord, maybe it has to do with our our confession, our cleansing. Lord, help us to see you for who you really are. Help us to spend time with you in your presence. And when we do that, we know that you'll put us in the position to be used. We love you. We saw these things in your name. Amen.